Hello, and welcome to the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. As we continue in Season 5, looking at a biblical perspective on government, the state, how we interact in this culture, how we relate to a government, these types of things, we are getting into, in this episode, the time period of the judges, and then I believe we will pretty easily be able to get into the concept of the kings of Israel and look at a few of those, at least uh, what are thought to be the best examples of Israel's kings. So we'll start off with judges, then we'll get into the kings and look at these two uh, these two opposite ideas of how do you govern a society? Do you have absolutely no ruler and uh, no leadership that is clear? Do people just do what's right in their own eyes? Or do you have a king, a monarchy, someone that rules over a nation, that type of governance structure? And I think you'll see by the end of this, neither one is really the ideal. So we'll start off with judges. The time of judges appears at first glance to be the perfect case study for why we need kings. The continuous, they did what was right in their own eyes, seems to prove again and again that when left on their own, the people revert back to sin and away from God. When godly leadership is introduced through the judges, society does well and honors God. When society returns to being leaderless, they do what they want, which ends up going against God. The problem with this interpretation of uh, this is the argument for why we need kings will be highlighted in an example here in just a minute with the kings of Israel, but mainly in the fact that God clearly says having a king is against his desires and a rejection of himself. He allowed it as judgment against the people, not as a dictate of his ideal for them. So to give you just a brief uh, caption of what God says about this, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And that's when the people were asking for a human ruler to rule over them. Then in Hosea 13, verses 9 through 11, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges, of whom thou saidst, give me a king and princes and princes? I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. So he's saying that God is saying that he should be the king, No other human will equate to him in this role, in this regard, and that uh, basically that he gave them a king in his anger and took the king away in his wrath. So both of these things are a judgment against the people, whether he gives them a king or takes away the king, they're both a judgment against the people. The ideal is that God is their king. And yeah, so let's get into the concept of judges a little more too. It should be clear, and I think I've uh, given plenty of examples and uh, proof texts for this, that having a human king and government ruling over a society does not necessitate a godly society any more than not having one. Obviously, the it's no worse than the alternative is not a strong argument, not a strong positive argument for anarchy, but it is a solid argument against the rejection of anarchy as a viable option. If it's truly no worse than the alternative, then you can't rule it out right away. 
Now, again, that's not a good positive argument that, oh, you should do it because it's no worse than the other. No, but you also can't rule it out. So also having a temporary leader with a very limited scope of leadership and voluntary acceptance by the people does not fit the standard definitions of a king or government. It just doesn't. It's a very different thing. A ruler and a king is very different. There is a difference between ruling and leading. To be clear, what I'm saying is that there is a difference between a ruler and a king than a leader. Those are two very different things. And what we see in Judges is the latter, is the leader, not the ruler or the king. When we get out of Judges and get into the kings of Israel, we will see the king. So we'll see both of these as examples. As with Joseph and even the best kings of Israel, the Judges, despite how often leading in a godly fashion did not create a lasting godly society. The judges did not. The kings of Israel did not. No one did. Society still reverted back to its, quote, natural state of individuals deciding for themselves whom they shall serve, usually choosing a human leader. Godly leadership is a very good thing, as was shown with Moses and Joshua and the judges, but it doesn't appear to change the nature of humanity. As the leaders become formalized and institutionalized into governments and kings, this leadership role actually seems to trend society into corruption and away from God, as seen through the history of the nation of Israel, the rule of Constantine, the evolution of colonial America, and the state of modern society. There are plenty of examples of this where it seems that as you get more and more institutionalized, centralized, you get a formal government, formal kings, these types of things, that society will trend towards corruption and away from God. That's the way it works. Now, there is also a free will argument to make here. God allows individuals to make the free will choice to follow him or not. With Mosaic law, individuals may leave or never join to begin with, or they can choose voluntarily to be a part of God's set-apart society. In the time of the judges, obviously, many were acting contrary to God's commands. While having a king or government could have forced the society in line with God's ways, forced conversion and adherence is not in line with biblical principles. I shouldn't have to say that, but in this context, that usually gets left out. Having a leader guide the people in limited ways for a specific purpose can still fit with biblical principles. Again, leadership different than ruling. The difference is how free will is treated. So if you have this principle of free will in the Bible and that people make a free will choice to choose God and to live in his ways, then... uh, it just doesn't really make sense to say, oh, well, then other people should force them to do things. Uh, no, that that's not a free will thing. If you're forced to do something, that is not a free will choice. And you could argue that even if you do it, if you're doing it because you're forced, then you have different intentions and motivations, and God judges that, and yeah, that doesn't work either. I've made similar arguments before uh, comparing governments to markets, having a state-run society versus a market-run society. So think and Kapistan versus the nation state. And uh, with 
markets or governments as the organizing and limiting factor of a society, you can compare them and see uh, how they would compare, how they work out, and especially on a a moral level, but also on a practical level, uh, all kinds of levels. I actually did a whole episode on the various arguments against statism from a moral, then from a maybe a religious and a practical, I can't remember, but uh, many, many episodes ago back in season one. But where I'm going here is that when you look at the free will argument that I just mentioned before, and then apply that to this very similar thing of looking at markets versus governments, markets respect the free will of the individual. And uh, with the caveat that usually and in general, we are making generalizations here that do not apply to every single individual circumstance. The A market does not force transactions or choices. They do, however, often lead to most individuals living in ways contrary to biblical principles. That's similar to the time period of the judges. This is not because markets are evil, but because when free will is respected, most individuals choose self-rule over God's rule. That's human nature. It was true with Adam, and it is true today. The alternative of forcing individuals to do or not to do certain actions may, in theory, result in less direct ungodliness in society, although it doesn't seem to actually play out that way in practice, but it does contradict God's principle of personal free will. The only system that respects this are anarchic in the sense of being systems without human rulers. This was the case in the days of Moses and the case throughout the time of the judges. It needs to be accepted that forcing godliness in society isn't the goal, but rather leading society through individual human action, voluntary participation, and by example is the method as espoused by Yeshua for spreading God's kingdom and promoting his will. That's what we are told to do. And again, this looks very different. And again, just because an anarcho-capitalistic society or a Mosaic Law Society, so long as it's not the only society, and uh, other forms, the time period of the judges, with judges as leaders, all of these things, just because they are more in line with biblical principles, you have leadership uh, over rulership, you have free will, you have these types of things respected, that doesn't mean that that society is godly. Uh, And that doesn't mean that that society is good and is going to turn out well and all of these things. Because what you really need for that is God as your king, period. And that's what God lays out. That's what history shows. That's the way it is. And uh, none of these uh, structures that I've mentioned here uh, specifically have God as the ruler, outside of maybe Mosaic Law, if it is done right, according to the way God laid it out. So, uh, with that, what I'm saying is that, uh, in a way, you could make the argument it's no worse than statism, and that's definitely not where I would go. Where I would go is to say that there is a moral reason to not have a human king ruling over you. There is a moral reason to not set up a society with a centralized government that forces people to do things and not to do things. Uh, from biblical morality, there is this moral argument. And according to biblical principle, we are to live according to God's ways, period. Whether they're practical or not, that's what we are called to do. We're called for sacrifice. And so often, this is not the easy road. The easy road is not what we're called to. But I, I will say, and I've made this argument before, that 
in general, the anarchic structures are no worse than statism. So uh, that's a plus. That's good. And in theory, they could be much better than what we have today. And uh, there are small-scale examples of this actually happening, but uh, on a large uh, nation-state level, that doesn't really seem to be something we have a lot of uh, modern examples of. But regardless, as a Christian, if you are following biblical principle and you are to live according to God's morality, then it's a pretty easy choice just based on that morality, just based on following biblical principle. Which structures follow that and which ones don't? Statism doesn't, period. So I think we can move on to the kings of Israel now, because, uh, yeah, there's not much more I need to stay, uh, or need to say about the judges. I think we've covered the bulk of that. And we're going to cover similar things just from the different perspective getting into the kings of Israel. So let me give you the overview, the the story of the people asking for the king. I read just one verse of that earlier. Let me read the whole section here. So this comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 4 to verse 22. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the rest of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated to them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Now uh, that we've kind of covered that, and I, I think that's a very good description of uh, having a king, period, that that is the way it will be. He'll take your money, he'll take your lands, you will be his slaves. Now keep in mind that, uh, so far as I can think, there was never a time when the citizens of Israel were literally slaves to the king. 
uh, this argument is much more in line with what, let's say, libertarians and uh, anarchists and people of that nature would say about modern society, that we are slaves to the state, or we are slaves to the system, we are free-range serfs, uh, these types of things. Uh, that's the argument that's being made here, that you shall be his slaves, because he's taking your stuff, he's doing what he wants with them, he tells you what to do, he takes your money, all of these things, you are his slave. Uh, that's just the way it is. And so, uh, let's go to the next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to require many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." The next verses are Hosea 13, verses 9 through 11. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges, of whom thou saidst, give me a king and princes? I gave thee a king in mine anger, and, and took him away in my wrath. So... Yeah, basically, this is laying out the argument for me. Uh, it, again, in Deuteronomy, uh, God did put that with Mosaic law, kind of rules about how a king should lead and how a king should, uh, how he should hold himself and how he should rule over the people, all of these things. He should read the law every day, write it down himself, not acquire many wives, not acquire many horses, not acquire a lot of silver and gold. Basically, not acquire a bunch of anything, not be someone who hoards, but rather be someone that does not put himself over his brother, that is humble and that serves the people, not just ruling over the people, uh, but he is doing both. And so that is how a king should be. Now, keep in mind that even though that is how a king should be, that God is not saying that you should have a king. What he says is that when you enter the land and possess it, you will say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me. And he says, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So, uh, yes, he says this will happen. He does not say that it should happen. He actually specifically says when it happens that it's a rejection of himself. So let's just make that clear. Now, God's law, as given to Moses, sets up a system of governance without any formal government. Uh, no ruling body, no king, no nothing. He clearly predicts, however, that the people will demand a king in the future and clearly explains that this is a rejection of himself. A parallel that, that I would think of here is uh, that of not serving other gods. 
This was done through sacrifice, allegiance, following the dictates of the gods, supporting their goals, and, and the giving of wealth to the gods, or their representatives, so to say. Switch gods for king, and you have the people sacrificing their sons in war, giving their allegiance to the king, following his laws and regulations, giving their daughters and slaves to work for the state, and giving their wealth to the state in the form of taxes. That it's the same thing. Despite God's clear displeasure, he allows it anyway and even dictates how the king should rule, despite the position of king representing a rejection of himself. Again, this does not mean that God changed his mind and later thinks that establishing a government and a king is a good idea, matching his ideal. No. As with other examples, this is God using, regulating, and directing a human system regardless of its status in relation to his principles. He has used slavery. He has used very ungodly nations and people. He, is, he, he uses what he wishes to use because he is the ruler over all things, the true ruler. Whether people uh, respect that or not, that is the case. That is truth. As to how the king is to rule, God says he is not to build up an army and not to build up wealth. His scope of authority is only to carry out Mosaic law over God's people. So far as I can tell, this role of king, as God describes it, was never followed with any sincere effort, with the possible exception of Josiah for a period of time. There may be parallels here to the government described by Paul in Romans 13, where he says that it is, quote, not a terror to good works, but to evil. So if we look at the first kings of Israel, Saul and David, neither sought the position of ruler. They were chosen by God. They didn't seek it out. They were chosen. We already know this was not God implementing his ideal, since he already labeled the action as rebellion. But rather, this, again, is God using aspects of humanity despite the status. Now, this is very similar to my, uh, at least the way that I perceive the story of Joseph, where Joseph did not seek that political uh, position but he did submit when he was put into it by the ruling authorities over him. Who are the ruling authorities over the nation of Israel? Well, it's God. It's the Most High God. And he is the one that appointed them, and they submitted. So it's, again, another parallel. Guess what? There's a lot of them in the Bible. So later, role models such as Solomon and Josiah were not seekers of power, but rather were put into their positions through birthright and through God's direction, accepting their role, and at times performing their duties to the best of their abilities. David is credited for his repentance and his heart. Uh, God says there's a man after his own heart, but not his rulership. Notice the emphasis on what God did versus what David did. This is 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verses 7-9. through 9. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So God was responsible for David's position and success. 
David was responsible for using this position and success for evil. That's what David did. God gave him everything. David used it for ill. Uh, would David have been, or would he have had Bathsheba if he were not a king? Would he have been able to have Uriah murdered if he were not a king? Would he have built up a harem of women if he were not king? Now, I'm sure he would have sinned, ruler or not. That is also a very clear biblical principle. And he would have been a man after God's own heart, either way as well. The question is, did his position as king help or harm his pursuits toward righteousness, this, uh, this path of sanctification? We can't answer this uh, definitively, but it is clear that the faults, the sins, and the failures of David on a large scale are highlighted in his carrying them out as king or in direct relationship to his position as king. From his love life to parenting to honesty, all of these things, it's in his position as king that these really get highlighted. Even with this highly respected and exalted king by God and man, the scriptures clearly focus on how his position as king negatively affected his life. Now, where did Solomon get his best trait, his wisdom? He got it from God. How was he appointed king despite not being the firstborn? Through God's declaration and intervention. What did Solomon do? He built up wealth and power. He had hundreds of wives. He facilitated the worship of other gods. He did all this through his position as king. What a shock. What was Josiah's downfall? Josiah, the, the only truly good king in all of scripture. Well, marching against a foreign army who had not attacked and was not planning to. That's what Josiah did. Josiah used human wisdom and decided to protect his borders to delay the ally of the Assyrians and to not believe that God had spoken to a gentle Gentile ruler. And uh, yes, that, that's what Josiah did did, and it was not a good thing to do. And if he would have followed what God clearly laid out to what a king should do and how a king should rule and how that nation should be, it was not to be an empire that spread and spread. It was not to be a nation that attacked people that were not uh, attacking the Israel first, or that God had not deemed as God's enemies and told them to attack directly. These are all very understandable positions from a human perspective, but they do not follow God's wisdom. God speaks to pagans many times throughout Scripture. He says war is only to take the territory he has commanded Israel to take and for direct defense, of which neither reason applied here. God uses the nations for his own purposes, so to decide Egypt or the Assyrians should be opposed, despite their deservedness, was not Josiah's call. Again, all of this came about because Josiah was king. His position led to his fault and his death, despite his righteous life. Again, Josiah was the most righteous king that we have uh, at least recorded in scripture, and yet... He still did not make it in the end. Kind of his last folly was to not follow these principles of God. And uh, yeah, and that led to his death directly. Another way to assess the kings of Israel is to look at the best examples, as I believe I have picked out at least, David, Solomon, and Josiah, and view the long-term results of their rule. That seems logical. 
So after David and Solomon, the kingdom broke into two, and the leaders degenerated into kings unrecognizable when compared to God's description of what a king is. After Josiah was further corruption and the Babylonian captivity. These are similar results to Joseph's rule, uh, which yeah ended in the captivity of all of the people, and the rule of the judges, which uh, also did not turn out good in any case. Every single judge after that, the people reverted back, and it didn't go well. It seems that either a ruler is explicitly ungodly and does not follow God's commands for how to carry out the position, or the ruler attempts to follow God's principles with varying success, depending on the example, and regardless, society is only slightly delayed in its decline into moral decay and subjugation to others. Even when taking the best examples of biblical human rulers, none stands up as clear and definitive proof cases against God's ideal of not having man rule over man. Oh, what a shock. You're not going to win an argument over God's principles. Of course not. Even his uh, God's acquiescence to have rulers who follow his guidelines only has one example, Josiah, who still did not produce a godly kingdom in the long run. Despite his apparent perfection and righteousness in rulership, he did what he was supposed to do. He followed God. He followed the law. He read it daily. And he was a very good king. Even so, in the end, it, it didn't work out. And it was because of his position as king that led him to uh, basically use the forces of Israel in a way that uh, was not in line with God. And his uh, probably his pride allowed him to uh, not take the advice or take the word of a Gentile, and so he failed in that regard as well. So uh, with these things, the point is that even if you say David was a good king, Solomon was a good king, Josiah was a good king, and you could try to pick out others, I don't think there are any others that are any better than these three, even if you say that and uh, we... Uh, go ahead and give that to you and say that, yes, they were good kings. Yes, they did good. They they benefited Israel throughout their kingship and, in general, tried to follow God. Let's give them that, whether it's true or not. Let's pretend like it is. Now, uh, what we can do is then look at how did that end up. And in every case, that did not end up well. <laughs> that ended up in everything reverting back to uh, corruption and decay and enslavement and all of these things, people going against God and God then going against them. It, that's it. And so um, when you look at this time period of the judges, and then you look at this time period of the kings, you can look at the very good examples and the very bad examples. And in all these cases, it just reverts back to human nature that man will choose to not follow God, period. That is what at least the majority, the majority of humankind chooses. And that's very unfortunate, but we should not force people to follow God. That is not biblical, nor should we give in to their desires for being ruled over by the, these figureheads, as God says you shouldn't. That's a rejection of himself. We should have God as our king, period. So, that on one hand, yes, you could say having no rulers that still leads to corruption and uh, ungodly behavior in an ungodly society. In general, yes, it does. But having a king also does the same thing. They both do the same thing. It's because it, it's dealing. You're dealing with humans. It's a human society either way. 
Now, does this change when you end with the technological society from a Kaczynski standpoint? Uh, I doubt it, but uh, (laughs) there are some interesting changes about, but it is all derived from man, period. So uh, I would bet uh, all the wealth in the world that the results will be the same, that human nature does not change. And so in the end, it's not that anarchy is necessarily better overall on a macro societal level than monarchy, or that statism is better than a more libertarian society. Like, we're not going to be able to say that one is better than the other. A lot of that depends on context and history and all of these kinds of things. But from a biblical perspective, we can say that putting a king over a society, having a human ruler ruling over other humans is wrong. That's a rejection of God. God says it himself. There should be no argument there. And so from a biblical Christian perspective, that's really all that matters. Now, beyond that, it's worth digging into all this other stuff that we are digging into here. But the overall point is that God says it's a rejection of himself. And it plays out over and over and over and over again. Now, we do still need to look at what seem to be some exceptions, and I guess next episode we'll cover some of this because next time we'll look at the case of Daniel and look at Daniel's prophecy because that is also very relevant to the political realm. And I'm not going to get into uh, a whole lot about prophecy in general. I'm just drawing out these principles like I have been doing uh, about the relationship between the Christian and the state, God's view of government, these types of things. And so that's what we'll get into next time. And uh, I guess that's it for this time. So I will say thank you to anyone who has uh, donated money and given money to Uh, support the show. That's how I pay for hosting and all the other good stuff. So thank you very much for that. There aren't uh, as many as there once were, but there are still enough to pay for what needs to be paid for. So I greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much. If anybody else is interested and willing to do so, then please go to Patreon is the most common. You could also do Subscribestar. The links are in the show notes, or you could just search on either one of those platforms. Or if you want to do direct you can reach out to me or send crypto. I've got some crypto addresses listed there as well. So uh, thank you very much uh, for your support of all kinds, for the ratings, for the reviews. Uh, Just thank you for listening. Thank you for being a listener. I do greatly appreciate it. Please reach out to me if you have any questions or suggestions or feedback of any kind. You can reach me at ourfoundations at protonmail.com or you could find me on Twitter at foundationspc or I guess you go to the website, but not really a good way to interact with me there. Uh, But please do reach out if you have the ability and have any feedback to give. And with that, I will sign off this time. I'll be back next time. Thank you very much for listening. I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.